remember just for those who came late please like gather questions while i'm talking and keep them for the end um unless it's like topic related but i mean like big questions for the end because i really do want to take questions because i think this is a very conversational topic and um uh, i think it well it does affect all of us i don't think i know it affects all of us so uh for those of you who go to blueprint church um You'll know that we're going through a series called The Christian Atheist, and it has a lot of different uh, topics, and um, the it keeps saying, like, I believe in God, but, right? So we had, I believe in God, but I don't trust him. Um, I believe in God, but I don't think he's fair. That was last week. And then um, we're going into, um, for this week, I believe in God, but I don't like to share my faith or I don't share my faith. Um, and I think this is a, a fun topic because it, it affects all of us. It's our mandate from Christ, um, but it can feel a little bit awkward. And so what I did, for those of you who don't know, I studied um, mathematics and statistics and I did my postgrad in statistics. So any chance I get, I love to look at graphs and I love to read data and I love to read statistics. And um, so I went and looked up some statistics concerning this topic and some of them really stood out to me and I want to share them with you. Um, feel free to respond with very shocked faces so that I feel affirmed. <laughs> um, I, so I googled some stats on like evangelism, Christians sharing their faith, and these are some of the ones that stood out. Uh, in 1993, 89% of the people surveyed agreed it was every Christian's responsibility to share their faith. It's pretty good. Okay. 1993. In 2018... 64% said it still is every Christian's responsibility to share their faith. So that's worse, but you might be like, eh, 63 isn't like less than 50, so that's maybe good. However, then I looked at the sample they used. <laughs> and the people they used for the sample consisted of only people who um, had spoken to someone about Christ or shared their faith once in five years. That was the criteria. If you had shared your faith once in five years, you were called in to do the survey. So as a statistician, I can tell you that's dodgy, <laughs> right? Like that's a, that's a misleading sample set. Um, because obviously, first of all, people who have shared their faith are more likely to share their faith. So, and think it's important. So um, that was silly, first of all. And secondly, considering these are only people who have done it max, oh, well, sorry, minimum once in five years, like, do they really believe what they're saying? They're saying it's every Christian's responsibility, but some of them have only done it once in five years. So maybe not the best sample set, but keep that in mind when you hear these numbers. So. We're only asking people who already share their faith. 
We're not asking the Christians who don't share their faith, which already makes the results higher than they should be. Okay. 44% of modern Christians say they would avoid a spiritual conversation if they knew the non-Christian friend would reject them. That's almost half of Christians that wouldn't share their faith if the person they were sharing it with would reject them. Only 19% say they are proactive about looking for opportunities to share their faith. So now the numbers are getting extremely low. In 2019, 47% of millennials agree, at least somewhat, that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hope they will one day share the same faith. So half of millennials think it's wrong to share your faith with the intention of wanting that person to come to know the same faith as you. Um, I also have a graph, which I'm going to share with you. Hopefully this works. First time I'm doing it. Uh, give me a second. Share screen. You know technology, you test everything beforehand and then when you want to do it, it doesn't work even though you did it 10,000 times. So Drew, you just need to come over every Wednesday and just sit next to me and make sure everything works. Uh, let me try one more time. Yeah, it does. Um, it's bringing up a ton of different applications for me to share, but not the one that has the image in, which it did earlier, but now it's not. So let me try something else. Share screen. Hmm. Let's try this. We're going to do Inception here again. Okay. Can you see Inception? <laughs> All right. Can everyone see that? Do you see a graph? Anyone? Unmute yeah, yourself. Yes, yeah. Okay, thank you. All right, so here we see a graph, and this graph, unfortunately, there was no title for it. It was just a paragraph above it. This graph is showing uh, Google search trends, and it's showing uh, search trends for evangelism, so or anything to do with evangelism, or evangelizing, sharing faith, anything like that. Um, and when this is percent on the side, and even though hundred percent looks high, remember at the max it ever was, that will be a hundred percent. So from 2004, they took the most searches and they said that's hundred percent. Okay. So they don't tell you how much it is, but regardless of how many people searched, you can see generally over the last 12 years, um, it continues to spiral down. People are less and less interested in evangelism and how to do it. All right. Great. Can everyone see me again? All right, thanks. So I don't know if that bothers you, but if it doesn't, it should. 
because the whole premise of our faith is to share. And I want us to read some scripture as always. So uh, I'm going to ask people to read, but Rachel, for those who aren't reading, she's going to be putting it in the chat as well. So if you can easily access the chat, she will be posting the scriptures there so that you can follow along. It's not necessary, but we thought we would just do it um, to make things easier for you. Uh, so I'm going to distribute some scriptures. Uh, Deanna, can you do uh, Mark 16, verse 15? And Drew, can you do Matthew 10, verse 7? Yes. Okay. Um, Helene, can you do Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20? And Troy, do you mind reading? Uh, can you do 1 Corinthians 9, 16? Um, Heather, do you mind reading? Can you do 2 Timothy 4, verse 2? And Corey, can you do 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 to 26? Does everyone know what they're doing? Okay. All right. So um, first we're going to cover what Jesus had to say about sharing our faith. So, uh, Deanna, can you go ahead with Mark 16, verse 15? Yes. Uh, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. All right. And then uh, who had Matthew 10, 7? Drew, I think. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank you. Um, Rachel, with sharing the scriptures, don't like lump them like that. As people read them, share them one by one. Um, all right, so that's what Jesus has to say about it. So very clear, he commands it over and over. Um, one other interesting thing to note is that you can easily find those scriptures, or at least most of them, by just going to the end of the Gospels, of each Gospel individually. And I think that's very important. Like, everyone knows about lost words when you're dying on and like getting the death sentence, right? The last thing you say before you die is super important. Now, in this case, Jesus wasn't dying, but it was the last thing he was saying before he ascended to heaven. And the last words that he chose to speak were a commandment to us to spread the gospel to everyone, to make disciples, to baptize them. So he chose his last words in his physical earthly body to be about spreading his word and spreading the gospel and enlarging his kingdom. All right, now we're going to read some other scriptures that weren't out of Jesus' mouth, but they're still about the necessity of us preaching the word um, and, and spreading our faith. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16. Um, 
For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I'm compelled to do it. Like, he's like, it's not like a choice. It's a necessity. I have to do it. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Second uh, Timothy 4 verse 2. I think that was you, Heather. You're muted. You know. <laughs> You're muted again. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay, so this is, the first thing I wanted you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers or their governments to rule well so we can <clears throat> be quietly about our business of living simple and humble contemplation. This is the way our Savior God wants us to live. Is that Second Timothy 4 verse 2? I think you might be reading First Timothy. You're reading Second Timothy? I'm sorry. Yes, yes First Timothy. Oh, let's try this again. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, That's fine. You said verse 2? Yeah, chapter 4, four verse 2. 4 verse 2, I'm sorry. Okay, it says, I can't impress this on you too strongly. God is looking over your shoulder. Christ himself is the judge with the final say on everyone, living and dead. He is about to break into the open with his rules. So proclaim the message with intensity. Keep your and keep on your watch. And challenge, warn, and urge your people. Don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. Alright. Are you reading the message? Yes. Alright. Um, I'm going to read from my version, just because it's shorter. It says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. So, again, straight commandment. Preach it. Preach the word. Be ready all the time to do so. Uh, and then we have 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 to 26. And a servant of the Lord, a quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, and humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So, a servant of the Lord, skip a few lines, must be able to teach. Okay. A lot of Christians have this idea that that belongs to just a few Christians and everyone else just gets to learn. That's not the truth. We are all supposed to be learning from each other, which means everyone needs to, in some capacity, be able to teach. And that doesn't mean you have to stand in front of a pulpit. It doesn't mean you even have to have your own Bible study. But it does mean you need to be able to teach the Word of God. To people it means you need to be able to share your faith because when you're sharing even if it's just with one other person you are teaching them about the Lord um, and then it carries on in humility correcting those who, who are in opposition you are required to correct those who are in opposition to what you believe humbly and gently but you're still required to do so um, and 
My question to you, and anyone can answer it, is after we've read these scriptures, do you feel like this was a suggestion or do you feel like it was a command? Okay. And and what do we call... Sorry. Um, Deanna, don't make me laugh. Um, and what do we call an act of not obeying a commandment? There's a word I'm looking for. When you don't obey a commandment. Disobedience. Disobedience. Okay. Um, and disobedience is a three-letter word. Sin. It is a sin. Um, if you don't believe me, we're going to read uh, 1 Timothy 1 verse 9. Rachel, you can put it up and read it at the same time. Unmute. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the holy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers. Right. Post that. Because I, I want us to look at it if you can. If you can't see it, that's fine. So I want you to notice here that the disobedient is clumped in with all those other things. Lawless people, ungodly people, sinners, unholy, profane. Disobedience is in the same line as those. That's pretty intense. Okay. It goes on to say, ones who hit their parents, murderers, like these are all things listed together. So disobedience is definitely a sin. Any commandment given in scripture, even if it doesn't start with thou shalt, it is, if it's telling you to do something, it's not a suggestion, it's, it's a commandment. And so when, uh, Heather, can you turn off your mic? Yeah, oh, mute your mic. It's fine. Um, uh, when we don't spread the gospel, we're not simply just uh, choosing to not do something that makes us uncomfortable or picking our preference. We are disobeying. And that is a sin. But there's a reason why people don't do it, right? So that's what we're going to discuss next. I would like you guys to give some reasons you think... Um, you don't spread the gospel or it doesn't even have to be you. Why you think Christians in general don't share their faith with other people? What do you think are some reasons? Helene said that again. They don't want to offend anyone. Yes. Any other uh, reason? Christian teachings can come off too harsh. Okay. Yeah. They don't want to be rejected. Mm-hmm. All of these are right answers. Sorry, Corey, say that again. I said they don't trust God. Jordan, I heard you say something. They don't truly understand the gospel. It's hard to be a teacher or something that you're not fully understanding. So would you say that maybe people don't feel that they're strong enough in their own faith to be able to share their faith. Yeah. I mean, you hear so much that people are always talking about to be a pastor, you have to go to spiritualogical uh, churches and everything else. So even in the church, you hear that you have to be of a certain power in order to 
Mm-hmm. Any other reasons? They may not believe you. Like, if you're sharing, um, like, your personal story or whatever through your faith, they may question it and be like, oh, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to sum it up, but basically, uh, when, like, you see people who, like, share their faith, but they're not being, like, a good Christian, they're not, like, really, like, behaving as a good Christian. So for me, like, I never wanted to, like, share my faith and then, like, do something for someone to, like, judge me. So I guess judgment. So you scared you look like a hypocrite. Like, you scared you make a mistake and then you look like a hypocrite. <laughs> yeah. I think that a lot of Christians realize that once they, once they reveal themselves as Christians and, like, show that to the world, they understand that the world will have a higher standard for their way of living and their actions. And if they keep their standards with the rest of the world as the world, then they can live down here and get away with it. But once they say that they're Christian, the standards raise. And so they're like, "Mm, no, I'd rather not do that because then I have more rules. (laughs) What about the people who never learned how? Yes, good point. Uh, Deanna... When I was preparing this, your point is the only one I didn't think of so far. So if I forget to address it spontaneously, please bring it up at the end because I do want to address that specifically. Okay. Um, so all of these... Oh, Helene, did you want to say something? I see you're unmuted. Yeah. Okay. I just again. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so all of these are great points and we're going to be covering all of them. So I'm going to be going through, I think I have six, uh, no, seven. I have seven categories of reasons why Christians don't share their faith. And we're going to debunk all of them, why they're not valid reasons. Um, And I just want to say, if you fall into one of these categories or all these categories, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I am not saying that I haven't at some point in my life fallen into these categories or sometimes don't still experience them, but that doesn't mean I don't try to confront them. So this this whole study tonight is going to be about how to change this. But first we have to like look at each individual problem before we can have practical advice of how to change what the problem is into a solution. So the first reason I have is fear. Like... And it can be fear of a lot of things, but you're just too scared. You're just too scared to talk about your faith to someone. Whether that's because you're fearful of how they will react, like will they judge you? Or um, will they be offended? Will they not want to be your friend anymore? Will you get fired from your job because you, you know, spoke about Jesus at work and you're not allowed to? And then it gets back to HR and then they fire you. So there's a lot of things that can make us fearful, but um, it's not a good reason not to share. And we're going to look at two scriptures. Um, If uh, Eric, can you pull up scripture? Okay. Can you do uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7? 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. And uh, Corey, if you can do 
1 John 4, verse 18. And while they're pulling those up, um, I want to ask you guys if any of you have a story of when you were in a situation where you were scared to share your faith. Whether you did or didn't, it doesn't matter. But were you ever in a situation where you felt fearful? And if you don't mind sharing that with us. Deanna. Thank you. Anyone else have a story? Um, not really fear to speak out, but fear of the repercussions of speaking out. Mm -hmm. um, I used to work in insurance in our office. Uh, I would share quite frequently and always have my Bible with me. And it always seemed to cause a stir because people would come over and be like, you can't bring that in here. And like it was like it offended people just being in their presence, uh, having it. And then people would know me as the God guy. Like that's what people at the office kept calling me. And it was kind of funny, but at the same time, my boss was like, you can't share about Jesus here with people. And I kept doing it anyway. But it was still fear that, like, I could eventually get fired. Like, somebody could do something. Luckily, being a 1099, there's not a whole lot they can fire you for. So, it's whatever. But, yes, there was a healthy fear there. Okay. Um, this time last year, I worked at a Vanderbilt Psychiatric Hospital and number one, I don't know if you know anything about Vanderbilt, but they're pretty, pretty liberal. And number two, I don't know if you know anything about psychology, but most people that are in it are very liberal. So um, while I worked there, I worked with a lot of people that were around my age. And I was basically the only one. There were two or three, I think, Catholic people. And then I think I was the only one that was like, would come out as like a like like christian girl and i'd be like yes i go to church and i believe in jesus and the trinity and then there was and then there was one girl who was raised mormon and every single time i would talk about like god or going to church i would get the most like disgusting looks and they would all just be like Oh my gosh. And they would purposely like try to draw me into conversations about really, really like sinful, like disgusting things and trying to see my threshold of like how I react as a Christian. And there were so many situations where I literally had to walk away from like everyone that I worked with and I would just like stroll down the hallway with the patient so I wouldn't say something and get fired. 
because like everyone around him was like, like I couldn't, because I almost got into a conversation with a girl who was Mormon and I, it got, it started to get really dangerous because it was just like not a good situation. And so I was like, all right, I can't say anything because if I say that I disagree with her beliefs or I even bring up scriptures that contradict her belief system, I'll be called into HR and I'll get in trouble. And so I just like can't and I would have to walk away from like everyone that I worked with. Thank you. All right, let's read those scriptures. Um, Eric, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Thank you. And then 1 John 4 verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind, or self-control, as some translations say. Um, and then he who fears has, uh, Jordan mute, um, and he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And so, Jordan mute, <laughs> you're typing. I can hear all the tick, tick, ticks. Um, and... God doesn't want us to be fearful. Fear is of the devil, okay? So, as dramatic as it might sound, I need you guys to know that that feeling of fear that comes into you, that is an attack. It is not you feeling that. That's something coming against you. And why is it coming against you? Because Satan doesn't want you to spread the word of God. He wants to silence you. He wants to keep you quiet. So, of course, he's going to make you feel fearful. And now that's not to say we're never going to experience any kind of fear or anxiety ever. But in that moment where you, where you physically feel that fear, you don't have to subject yourself or submit yourself to that fear. You can face it straight on and you can address it. Um, and another question you have to ask yourself is, because basically all of this can be boiled down to that you fear man. You fear what man can do to you. And so you need to ask yourself, who do I fear more? Do I fear man or do I fear God? Um, I'm going to read some scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 29 verse 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Matthew 10 verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I'm going to read that again. And do not fear those who kill the body, humans, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, God. Galatians 1 verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man? Or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Very interesting statement. He says there, if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Because I know that if I serve Christ, I'm going to land up in scenarios where I'm not pleasing people, where I'm upsetting people, where they're getting offended, where they don't like what I'm going to say. It just comes naturally. 
If you want to be a servant of God, you have to please God. And naturally, pleasing God is going to mean that there's going to be a lot of situations where you're not pleasing men. Um, so basically, if you want to fear man, you pick the wrong religion because our whole religion is based on not fearing what man can do. If the disciples had feared what man can do, we wouldn't have the gospel today. They would have stayed in that little upper room, eventually died, right? Not in the upper room, but they would have died of old age because they never would have spread the gospel to anyone. And the people who knew about what Jesus did would have got less and less and less, and it would have just disintegrated into nothing. Another tiny little cult maybe that started and came to nothing. But because they spread the word of God, because they shared their faith in the face of fear, like, and not just, oh, I might lose my job or, oh, this person might think I'm a terrible person or judgmental, but in the face of, I could lose where I live. I could lose my family. I could get sent to prison. I could be tortured. I could be killed. You know, um, there's missionaries in the, in the Middle East who go there to spread the word of God and they've had their family held at gunpoint in front of them and they've been asked to renounce Jesus while the man is standing there with a gun to the wife's head and the children next in line to get it and he says, do you renounce Christ? And the missionary says, no, and he has to witness his family getting killed in front of him. Talk about fear of man. Like, that would be a very scary moment. Regardless of whether you crumble or not in that moment, that is a terrifying moment. But God calls us to confront that fear straight on. And if there is something we're going to fear, let it be God. Because man, what's the worst thing man can do is kill you. After you're dead, he can't touch you. But God, he has control over you while you're alive. And he has control over your soul after you're dead. Your soul is for all eternity in his hands. So if you're going to fear someone... Fear him who can destroy both your body and your soul. Don't fear those who can only slightly affect your body while you're here on earth or your situation while you're here on earth. Um, so I want to reiterate, it's okay to feel fear. Like that's a normal human reaction. But you don't have to let it stop you from doing something. Bravery is not the absence of fear. Bravery is facing the thing that you fear, is doing something in spite of fear. It wouldn't be brave if you weren't scared of it, right? Then it would just be normal everyday activities, right? It's only bravery because you're scared of it, right? So keep that in mind. It's okay to have that initial feeling of fear come upon you, but don't let it paralyze you or stop you from, from sharing your faith. So that's number one. Number two, we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but the second reason people don't share their faith is spiritual laziness. So this can be um, an immature Christian uh, who doesn't really care about what they can give to God or what they need to do for God. They just care about what God does for them. It's immature Christians who don't read the word of God, don't know what he instructs or, or commands. Um, it's someone who... Um, thinks it's someone else's job, right? There's lots of Christians like that. I'm not going to share my faith. That's what the pastor is for. 
That's what the missionary's for. That someone else can do that. Or I even know some people, and I love them, but I've heard them say things like, I don't want to go. I just want to give the money to the people who go. And that's fine. Like, you don't necessarily have to be a missionary to, like, Africa. But most of the time, those people, it's not just because they don't want to be a missionary to another country. It's, I don't want to share in general. So I'll just send money to everyone else and they can share the word of God. Giving money is great. Giving money to missions is amazing. But you cannot substitute giving money to missions for sharing your faith. Jesus never commanded before he ascended to heaven, go ye into your church and give money to the missionary. He said, go ye into all the world and make disciples. Spread the word of God. Giving money, that's an extra nice thing, but you cannot substitute it. You have to spread the gospel. It's your own responsibility to do so. You can't just keep pawning it off on someone else. Because the problem is, what? According to that last statistic, which was just a small sample size, only 19% of Christians proactively look for opportunities to share their faith. It should be 100% of Christians looking proactively for opportunities to share their faith. So that addresses spiritual laziness. I don't want to camp there for too long. Hopefully none of you are in this category. If not, listen to podcast season one all the way through. <laughs> all right. The third reason uh, that people don't share their faith is worldly influence. Okay. So you're a Christian, but the world is still heavily influencing you. And so the world says stuff like faith is personal. Okay, everyone has their own truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. And so you kind of just go with what the world is saying, right? You accept your truth, but you don't want to push what you believe on someone else, right? Because that would be wrong. Um, uh, another worldly influence is all religions lead to God, right? And therefore, we shouldn't share our faith because... If we do, we're saying that person's religion or faith is not leading them to God. Okay? Um, we're not going to read a scripture here, but uh, I, I hope you're all familiar with the, the verse that says, You are in the world, but you're not of the world. So regardless of what the culture around us is telling us is normal or we should or shouldn't be doing, we can't take that as truth. We have to be in the world, but we're not of it. We're not like it. So if, if it's telling us all roads lead to God, but the word of God says that's not true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. The only way to the Father, that's it. That's the truth. If, um, if the world is saying faith is personal and um, you know everyone's truth is their truth, but the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then that is the truth. You have to preach that. You can't conform to what the world is saying. Um, the fourth reason why people don't share their faith is they worry about being politically correct. And this is more of a Western thing, but um, we worry that we might offend people, right? Because the Bible is offensive. And... Here's, here's the truth. If you're going to share your faith, there will come a time 
where someone is going to pick something in the Bible that's really offensive and they're going to bring it up, right? Oh, but God commanded the slaughtering of innocent babies in the pagan nations, right? Or um, you'll be talking about how Jesus loves everyone and they'll say, what about homosexuals? Does Jesus love them? Like, you know what I'm saying? That They'll pick the parts of the Bible that are controversial or offensive and they're going to attack you with that. Um, and so a lot of Christians out of fear and out of wanting to be politically correct will not share their faith because they're like, you know, I might have to confront this person's sin or they might bring up something. And if they ask me something like, what do you, what do you think about, um, same sex marriage or, um, do you think it was right for God to murder all those babies? Then you have to give an answer. And for some of us, we might not even know what to say about those topics yet. So we would rather just not talk about it at all. So therefore we don't share our faith at all. Um, the verse that goes with this reason is uh, Matthew 10 verse 34. And I'm going to read it. This is Jesus speaking. Think not that I came to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Political correctness is all about keeping peace. It's about not offending everyone, everyone just living together, not pushing their views on anyone else, not saying anything divisive or offensive. But the gospel is offensive. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. That's a misconception. I came to bring a sword, to divide, to discern. And so when you're speaking the word of God, when you're sharing your faith, there will come a time where you're going to have to say something that's not peaceful, that can be hurtful. You're still supposed to say it gently. You're still supposed to say it in love. But if that's the attitude you're coming with, but you're still speaking truth and it hurts people, remember what Jesus said. There might not be peace in this situation right now because of what you've said, but as long as you've said it in love and gentleness, remember that Jesus said he came to bring a sword and a sword denotes violence. It denotes, you know, that there's, there's war going on. Something hurtful is happening. So keep that in mind. Um, reason number five is I didn't share my faith because I struggle with my own faith. Uh, this might be, uh, a new believer or uh, a struggling immature believer who's trying to come to terms with things. It might be a believer who is struggling with sin. It might be a believer who um, maybe isn't struggling with sin as much, but just feels like they don't know enough about the word of God to be able to share their faith. Um, and I want to encourage you, we're not going to read his story, but in the book of Acts we hear about Apollos. Um, the disciples are off doing their thing and they hear about this guy called Apollos who's in some other city and he's preaching the gospel. And this is not like a guy who was like in the upper room or something. He must have heard from someone and like the gospel spread and then he heard the gospel and then he just started preaching. And he preached powerfully and wonderfully, but he was wrong on some things because the word of God says, Priscilla and Aquila had to take him aside because they went to the city and they took him aside and they're like, uh, 
the word of God says, and they um, explained to him the way of God more accurately. So there were some things that he was a little wrong on, but they went and they corrected it. And then, you know, he, he changed what he was wrong on after that, but he was still preaching before that. And the word of God says that he was preaching powerfully. He was full of the spirit. It was, he was leading people to Christ. He was an efficient example to people, even though he didn't have everything right. It's okay not to have everything right. Um, so let that be an encouragement to you. And this was the same guy that, again, I'm sorry I can't quote it. I think it might be in 1 Corinthians. Paul refers to him later in a, in a positive light. And so this no one who heard the gospel via the grapevine started preaching without any education, not having personally met Jesus, not being discipled by one of the apostles, and still preaching things wrong eventually lands up being one of the main men that Paul mentions in his letters as being, yeah, this one's awesome, right? But he didn't wait until he was as majestic and educated as Paul or had encountered an, a deep, you know, personal manifested Jesus in front of him before he went and spread the word of God. Um, and so... If you are waiting for some level of perfection to happen to you before you start spreading the word, news clip, news flash, it's never going to happen. You are never going to get to a point where you are perfect enough to spread the word of God. You are imperfect. You will always be imperfect. You are being perfected over time, but you will never reach 100% perfection. Never ever. And so stop waiting to be perfect before you spread the word of God. Let me tell you that even Peter, who was the first person to preach the gospel um, after, you know, the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost, he was the first person to preach the gospel. Yet, if you read a couple of chapters down, Paul had to come and rebuke uh, Peter for disobeying something that was a clear commandment of God, which was like, don't make a separation in how you act with like, certain people don't show partiality he was acting one way with the gentiles he was acting another way with the jews and paul had to come and rebuke him this is peter right like he sh he already made a mistake with denying jesus he fixed that one preaches the gospel and then he still makes another mistake right it's okay you don't have to be perfect before you spread the word of god let me tell you all the pastors out there no matter how amazing they are they all have issues no matter whether they're a mega church pastor or the small, tiny little church, 20 people, every pastor, every preacher, every evangelist, every worship leader is not perfect. But they didn't wait to be perfect before they shared their faith and they shared their calling and their gift with the world. All right. Um, and one more point on this. You don't know whether your imperfection could be the greatest tool in your evangelism a lot of people have the perspective that if i am going to become a christian i have to be perfect i have to not sin they think i have to first get, get my life right and then i can come to christ but if you can come to people and be like listen i still make mistakes i'm not perfect i don't know everything there is to know about the bible but i'm learning and i'm trying to change and i know i still make mistakes but this is what god has done for me that might be the very thing that convinces someone to, to convert to our faith, to accept Jesus as their Lord, because they're like, so I don't have to fix myself first. 
I don't have to be at a certain level. I can just come like I am, like you just came. You're not perfect. That means me being not perfect can come too. So the very thing you're scared of might ruin your witness, might be the very thing God uses to bring people to himself. Uh, point number six uh, of why people don't share their faith is not feeling knowledgeable enough. So this is not the same as the previous one that we just covered. This is not, I'm not perfect yet, or I'm still dealing with things. This is a head thing. This is, I don't know my Bible very well. If someone has to argue with me on something, I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, and uh, so I just rather not get in a conversation about it because I'm scared I get asked something I don't know and I mess up. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about some things, but again, I'm going to ask people to read some scripture. Uh, Rachel, if you can do 1 Peter 3 verse 15. And uh, Helene, if you can do 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 to 4. Um, one of the things I came across uh, while doing my stats research um, that I presented at the beginning was, and I went down a rabbit trail and rabbit hole, the rabbit path, the rabbit rabbits, whatever you call it. <laughs> um, I started reading this whole uh, survey that this company had done um, with Christians and Christians of different denominations, Jews, um, atheists, and agnostics. And they asked them some broad questions about um, religion in general from all the scopes. Like they asked them about Hinduism, um, uh, uh, Islam, agnosticism, to, uh, atheism, and then Christianity, Christianity and Catholicism. They asked them general questions uh, ranging from like super easy to dif more difficult. And honestly, they're difficult. It's not even that difficult in my opinion. But whatever. Um, and, they, and then they also like zoomed in and they asked specific Christians, um, Christian questions. So Bible-based questions. And I was so, so shocked at what I saw. It was... And they were, I mean, they were really taking easy questions. Really easy questions. Now, please, if I say a question and you're like, I don't know the answer. I'm not here to judge you. I'm judging the overall percentage, right? I'm not expecting every Christian to be on the same level. I'm not expecting every Christian to have read the whole Bible. But to see an overall average of Christianity as a whole and see that 22% of Christians know that Moses led the Israelites into the wilderness. 33% of them know that David was the one who killed Goliath, right? Um, a little bit more difficult was, what town did Jesus come from? But I mean, they all stuff like, A, Nazareth, B, New York City, 3, Mecca. Like, it wasn't even like, if you didn't know, you could hazard a guess and probably get it right. Hi, Alyssa and Jamichael. So, and I mean, that's just like three, but it went on and on. 
And you know what was happening? The atheists and the agnostics were scoring high on almost every other religion, like including their own. Um, but they knew more about everyone else's faith than Christians did about their own faith. And that is, I'm sorry, it's disgusting. And that's a harsh word, but it is disgusting. Now, if you're a new believer, I'm not expecting you to know the whole Bible. But my problem, and something I get very passionate about, is that Christians get lazy. And they go to church on a Sunday, they hear what the pastor says, and that's it. They never take initiative to do any study on their own. And even if you find ones that will read the Bible on a regular basis, there's a difference between reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God. You can read it without letting it sink in, without understanding what you're reading. And if you just read it to have said, oh, I read four chapters today, but you understood nothing, you retained nothing, and you can implement nothing into your life, you're not studying the Word of God. And so when you're questioned on it, you're not going to be able to give an answer because you'll be lucky if you even remember what you read, let alone understand what you read. And so we're going to read those verses now, but we are called as Christians, not only to pray and to read the Bible, but to study it, to be ready to give answers to people when they ask. If you're worried that you don't have enough knowledge, you need to do something about that because you're called to have more knowledge. You're called to be able to give those answers. So uh, let's read 1 Peter 3 verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, and post it. Don't forget to post it. Um, it. Always be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. So every person who asks you about your faith, you need to be ready. You need to be ready to give an answer for why you believe. And sometimes those questions are going to be more than just, how did you come to Jesus? It'll be, how do you believe in someone you can't see? How do you believe in him when things still go bad? And you know what? You have something that believers a hundred years ago and further had, did not have access to. Google. Every question, <laughs> true, every question that people can ask, I promise you, if you Google it, you will find answers. Now, granted, they might not be the best answers. They might not be the right answers. But if you do a little bit of research, you will find an educated theologian who already addressed that question. And so you need to be ready. Like you need to do your research. You need to study on things so that you have a basis of answers to give back to people when they ask you. Second uh, Timothy four verse two to four. Okay, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the times favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look. For for teachers who tell who will tell them whatever their itchy ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. 
work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the, the ministry God has given you. So preach the word in and out of season. That means all the time, right? You can either be in season or out of season. There's no in-between seasons, okay? Reprove and rebuke and exhort. Those are all confrontational things. Those are all, I'm speaking to someone else and addressing something. Exhort is when you give a word that lifts or encourages someone. Rebuke is when you are harshly saying to someone, you are wrong. Stop doing that. Reprove is to correct someone when they're wrong. I believe I might be wrong on that one, but I think that's what that means. Um, and then it goes, the reason I added in the rest of that verse, it says, for there will, time, there will come a time when they, being people, will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching, but after their own lust, they shall heap unto themselves teachers having itchy ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. So they're going to get teachers for themselves that say exactly what they want to hear and they're not going to listen to the truth and if ever there was a time where that is true it's today people don't want to hear the truth they want to hear what makes them feel good and so that is what follows the command to be ready in and out of season to preach to teach to reprove to rebuke and so if ever there was a time where you need to be ready it really is now people need truth more than ever because they're rejecting truth more than ever um, so it's our responsibility to learn. Now, I will say a few points here. Trust the Holy Spirit for answers. I can't explain to you how helpful he can be in these situations. Specifically, if um, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, which we discussed season one, episode four, if you haven't heard it, um, you have access to the gifts of the Spirit. And one of those gifts is the gift of wisdom. And this is a gift that I ask God for whenever I'm in a situation where I'm being confronted about my faith and I don't immediately know the answer. Um, some of you have heard the story before, but my uh, grandfather is not a Christian. He's hopped from a bunch of different religions, most of them Eastern and, and atheism. Any, anything that's got nothing to do with Christianity, he has done. Um, and one time I was sitting down with him and I was at that stage, maybe, I don't know, 20, 21. And I didn't know everything. I'd been a Christian two or three years. I was still learning. Um, and he said to me, I don't believe in Christianity because I have questions that no Christian I have ever asked has been able to answer. So I said to him, Okay, ask me. And as I, uh, as I said that, I prayed in my, in my spirit and I said, Holy Spirit, please, please give me the answers. Give me the gift of wisdom. And he started naming them one by one. And for every single one, I had an answer. And I didn't have the answer before. It wasn't like he asked me a question and I'd been asked it and I knew what I was going to say. As he asked it, like I'd never heard the question before. And from nowhere, this amazing response came for every single question he asked. And... He didn't convert. And the truth is, not everyone is going to. But that doesn't give you an excuse not to share your faith. But for the first time ever in his life, he confronted a Christian and they could give him answers. And I can't tell you, and I'm going to give you some stories later of when this has happened to me, but 
I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who have turned away from Christianity because Christians couldn't give them answers. And it's unacceptable. Christians aren't a bunch of stupid people. We're not stupid. Yet Christianity has been lumped into this group of Christians are ignorant. Christians aren't scientific. Christians don't care about the scientific method or proving anything. They just believe in fairy tales. And if you have to like push them on anything, they'll say, just have faith. Let me tell you something. An atheist doesn't have faith. You can't tell him just have faith. Okay? You have to give him answers. He wants scientific answers. And you know what? Who created science? God. So do you think God has scientific answers? Yes, he does. Now let me tell you something. I suck at science. I'm great at math. I'll solve me a math problem any day. But if you bring science, physics, eh, my brain can't grasp it. But you know what? There are tons of Christians who are scientists and are really good at proving creationism. They're really good at proving that the word of God was preserved accurately, that it um, came directly from the mouths of the apostles, that it's been recorded perfectly from the first day it was written to now, that um, it was accurate eyewitness reports. Anything you can think of, I promise you, there has been a Christian with a bigger, better brain than you who has figured it out already. You don't even have to do the hard work. You really don't. You can Google. You don't even have to go to a library anymore. Praise Jesus for that. You in the past have to go to a library. Go to the section on like creation and evolution. Take out 10,000 books this side. Sit in the library. Try and page through them all. And come to a conclusion so you could give someone an answer. Now you can YouTube. You can Google. You can podcast. Like Yes, Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Thank you, Rachel. One of the best things ever. <laughs> There's so many things you can do that can prepare you to give answers. And if you feel like, whoa, this is a little bit much for me, like let's say creationism. I am a hardcore creationist. I believe the Bible when it says it happened in six days. I have watched. At first, I didn't understand how. I just took it on faith. But I didn't just sit there and say, oh, well, I just believe it. So don't argue with me. I said to myself, okay, I believe that the word of God is true. It says the world was created in six days. So therefore, there must be proof for it because God doesn't lie. So what did I do? I went out there and I found myself some really great teachings on creationism by a scientific person. And I listened to seven DVDs on creationism. Yes, DVDs. It was a while ago. Okay. And they all were like, an hour and a half to two hours long, but they were good and I could understand it. Could I ever repeat what this person said to someone else? No, because again, science, right? I understood it. I can't repeat it. I can like say like maybe three points that he made out of seven DVDs, but that's not enough to convert an atheist. But you might find someone who wants the truth and say, I have answers. I can't tell you because I'm not an expert, but I know someone who does. Watch this, read that. Or you have a specific question, I'll look it up, right? And that's another point I want to make. Don't be scared to say, I don't know. It's okay to say you don't know. It's humble, okay? But don't just stop there. Say to them, that's a good question. I don't know. But if you give me a few days, I will find you the answer. And then go find them the answer. 
Speak to people you know who are knowledgeable. Speak to your pastor. Google. Watch videos. Like, find that person the answer that they're looking for. Remember, they are lost. Very few lost people are going to go seek out those answers themselves because they're happy exactly the way they are. They believe their truth is the truth. Very few of them are going to go seek something that contradicts what they believe. Okay? But you're coming into their world and you're saying, hey, you're wrong. So they're like, oh, really? Well, prove it. Prove it! Prove it to them. They want proof. Give them proof. The problem is so many Christians have never bothered to do it. If you really care about them, when they ask you for the answer, go find it. Even if you don't know it, go find it. That is love. I love you enough to take time out my day to find you the answer you want. Even for me, if they ask me about creationism, I know the answer. I struggle to explain it well. But I'm not going to be like, well, I know it. They don't know it. It's going to take me so long to like find a way to convey it or a good article that like summarize it because no atheist will be listening to 14 hours of teaching from a Christian scientist, right? So I have to take time out my day to go and do that. But you know what? When I find something that's like maybe an hour long that I can send to them, that's showing love. Then I contact them later and I'm like, hey, you remember that conversation we had? Here's what I promised you. Oh, wow. I mean, in this culture, people say, hey, let's go out for a coffee. Yeah, 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 we're going to do it. And then they never do. So for you to come back and actually give what you promised to this person, that's a witness of your love. That you care enough to give them that answer. So please, find the answers. You can find the answers. And there are certain things that you should know. Like, here's the thing. You, you will never be able to study enough to know the answers to every contention that all the Muslims have, all the Hindus have, all the atheists have, all the agnostics have. There's too many topics, right? So get yourself a little bit of, of knowledge on everything. Like, what are the main contentions of Muslims against the Christian faith? One is they don't believe Jesus was the son of God. Okay? They just believe he was a prophet from God. That alone is actually enough for you to prove to them that their religion is wrong. I won't go into a long thing about it, but in their religion, they believe that a prophet can never be wrong. So all you have to do is prove to them that Jesus said he's God. And so they accept he's a prophet and a prophet can never be wrong. And if the prophet said he's God, then he's God. Uh, something somewhere is wrong. So, I mean, they're going to fight you still. But my point is, get some main points, especially if you know someone, right? Don't go study Sheikhism if you don't know any Sheikhs, okay? <laughs> but if you know a Muslim, go and look up what are their contentions against the Christian faith. What are the main points of their belief? And then Google how you can address that. Do the research. But when it comes to your faith, you better, better study hard. Like with all the other faiths and all the other contentions and all these other topics, you can have just a little bit of knowledge. But when it comes to your faith, it's your responsibility until the day you die to study, 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 study. You should be growing in your knowledge all the time. And honestly, guys, I know this is a terrible thing to say and I hope I don't offend you. But if you die and you've never read through the Bible once, 
That's not okay. Like, this is God's word to us. And you've never taken the time in your entire life to read it once. Not even once. And gosh, I know Leviticus is really bad, guys. I know it's intense. So you know what I did when I, I would get to Leviticus. You know how many times I've read Genesis uh, to like just before Leviticus? Probably as much as a Jewish person has. A lot. But every time I got to son of, 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 or this many cubits for the roof, this many tons of gold for the that, I'm like, Ugh, I, I struggle. So you know what I did? The first time I read through the Bible, I read it backwards. I read Revelation, then I read whatever it is, Jude, or and I read backwards. Because let me tell you, when you've read backwards and you get to Leviticus, no matter how boring it is, you're like, four more books and I'm done. I'm just going to do it. And that's how I got through the Bible the first time. Once you've read it once, at least you've read it once. I think we, it would be great if we could all read it once a year. I know maybe that's not always possible, but make sure by the time you die, you've read it once, please. And like when you're reading it, study it, really study it so that you can give people answers. Don't just read it for fun. Don't just read it to say you've read it. Read it to understand it. I'm sorry, I camped there very long. I didn't intend to. Um, point seven, the last point of why people don't share their faith. I have no training and I don't know how. Like, I just don't know. Like, I want to, but how the heck do I do this? Because I know I'm not going to take a megaphone and stand on the corner of um, Murfreesboro Pike and just like scream at people, right? And if you want to do that, more power to you. Just like bring a cloth to wipe your face from the, the eggs and the tomatoes that you get thrown at. But do it if you want to. But the truth is like most of us are just like, unless I'm like a pastor or at a conference or I'm like one of the crazies, I don't really know how to, how to spread my faith. And lucky for you, you're in this Bible study and we're going to cover practical ways you can share your faith. Yay! Um, but I want to ask you something. And this question relates to the last topic that we just covered with not feeling knowledgeable enough, as well as this, I have no training. Let me ask you, let me ask Drew. Okay. Let's say you start a new job and there's some skill set that you require that you don't really have, or you start a new hobby, but you don't really know how to do it. Or um, you want to do a DIY project, but again, you're not really sure how to go about it. What do you do? I research. How do you give me some examples? What would you do? Um, Google, YouTube, pick up a book, buy a book, uh, ask somebody who's done it before. There we go. Brilliant. So why? Do we as Christians not apply that with evangelism? How many times, if you've ever complained, I don't know how to, I don't know how to preach, I don't know how to share my faith. Have you ever Googled it? Five easy steps to sharing your faith. I bet you if I Google that right now, someone's written a blog on it. Okay? Have you ever YouTubed? Have you ever bought a book on evangelism? Uh, Drew, mute. <laughs> So my point 
you complain that you don't know, then do research and find out how. Like, learn how. Just like if you want to redo your kitchen, but you don't want to pay someone to do it, you watch a video. Watch a video. Like, you don't know how to code in JavaScript. You pick up a textbook and you figure out how. So if you don't know, yes, Eric? What if your wife tells you no hire a contractor? If you're trying to do a home project. Well, mutual submission, Eric. Don't bring up our personal drama on the Bible study. <laughs> um, I wish you had read a book when you changed the electrical circuits. <laughs> so, guys, do some research. But... I'm going to save you a little time, although it's still your responsibility to do this in your own time and further education. I'm going to give you some practical steps for how to share your faith, but we're going to divide it into groups because the truth is the way you share your faith with one person is not the way you're going to share with another. Okay. Um, feel free to ask questions, interject. If you have ever spread your faith to someone, uh, that fits these categories and you have a story like put up your hand I can see all your faces and you know I'll stop talking so you can share um, and remember if you have a specific scenario um, that you want to ask a question for at the end please keep those questions in mind and I'll try to address them as best I can all right we're going to start with extreme stuff first okay so how do you share your faith with a skeptic an agnostic or an atheist okay I'm very glad to say I speak from experience. So this one is kind of easy for me, um, easier. When it comes to people in, in this group, it's all about intellectualism. It's all about knowledge. You cannot come with faith, feelings, inclination. You cannot come with miracles. Like I'm, even if your testimony is, I was healed of cancer. And as amazing as that is, very few atheists are going to be like, wow, I want Jesus in my life now. Like, because they're intellectualists, if that's a word, God help me. Like, they want intellectual discussion. They want scientific proof. They want answers to questions. So before I go further, I want to say this. No matter what category a person is in, never Never, never get in an argument with a person who just wants to argue. Okay? You can feel a person's spirit. If they are aggressive, angry, confrontational, that's not a good time for you to share faith. Okay? But you will find there are atheists, there are agnostics, who even though they strongly disbelieve, they are open. They will hear you and they will listen. They have questions, but deep down, they actually want the answers. They're not asking you questions to ignite an argument with you. They're asking because they really want to know. And you will find a lot of atheists were once religious in some way. They grew up in a religious household or they had religious friends um, or they were themselves religious for a time and something went wrong. So no matter how angry this person is, Keep in the back of your mind, more than likely, this person was hurt. They were hurt 
by Christians. And so you don't want to perpetuate that hurt, which is why you will not get in an argument with them. You can have a civil discussion, you can have a back and forth calm debate, but never argue with a skeptic. Because if they see anger, judgment, hatred coming from you, you will validate every feeling they have about people of faith. Okay? Um, so even the Bible says, don't argue with a fool. Okay? So it's not that they're a fool because they're stupid. It's a fool because they're denying Jesus. I can prove that with scripture, but I won't. Okay? So if, this, if you come across a skeptic, an atheist agnostic, who is genuinely seeking the truth, they genuinely want to have a conversation. Um, some key things to know are, Besides knowledge, your life has to be an example. Because like I said, they've probably been hurt by faith in some way. And a lot of them, they know about the Christian faith. Remember that survey I was telling you about? The atheist was scoring really high on everyone's faith. So they know. They know about people's faith. What they haven't seen is people living out their faith. So it's important for you as best you can. You don't have to be perfect. But live a life that's an example. They should be able to look at you and see that you're different. Because one of their biggest arguments is also that Christians are hypocrites, right? So you want to make sure that you're not a hypocrite. Now, being a hypocrite is when you are doing something on purpose and you don't care. It's not when you make a mistake, okay? But when you do make a mistake and you know that this atheist knows, the best thing that you can do is confess. You say, you know, I did this. I'm so sorry. That was such a bad example. Um, that's not what Christ would have me do. That's not who I want to be. Just be humble and just admit that you made a mistake. But don't think you have to be perfect, but you can't live like the world and expect for them to be like, oh yeah, I want to be like you because they already are like you if you're living like the world. Okay? Um, Is it terrible that I'm like writing examples, but like in my head I'm reading it as example and I'm spelling it wrong? <laughs> You'll have to type on the chat how you're spelling it. Just a little. <laughs> um, is it because I'm saying example and not example? Example. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. So, um, important thing this might seem like, ugh, whatever. Pray for them. Because at the end of the day, only God can change their heart. So as you're speaking to them, pray for them. Another thing you have to keep in mind is this is going to take time, okay? An atheist and their like has usually spent a lot of time gathering reasons why they don't believe in God. They are not going to be converted in a day. Not impossible, highly unlikely. Be ready to devote a significant amount of your time to this person, okay? Walk a long road with them. Don't try rush them into a sinner's prayer or something like that. That's just ridiculous. Like, they're not going to do that, okay? And I'm speaking from experience. I have led an atheist to Christ. And uh, this was a girl who I didn't actually know was an atheist. But I was, uh, and I will tell you more about this later, but I was sitting in university in one of my classes and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, this girl, and I saw a picture in my head. He's like, go invite this girl to small group. So I was like, okay. So she actually was sitting behind me that day. I'd never spoken to her before. Um, and I turned to her and I'm like, hey, what do you do Wednesdays? And she's like, oh, nothing, I guess. Great way to start a conversation, Cassandra, with someone you've never spoken to. I didn't even know her name. Um, and 
she and then I said to her you should totally come to cell group that's what we called it in South Africa um and she's like uh what is cell group so I'm like oh no it's a chill gathering we just get together we talk about God and faith and how to live out your faith practically it's like really chill really calm no pressure and she's like what if I don't like believe the same as you I thought she just meant she was a different denomination so I'm like oh we have all denominations come to our cell group you don't worry about that she's like what if I don't believe like anything and inside I was like very funny God invite the atheist to Bible study okay so I said to her come anyway and then I turned I'm like <laughs> what is happening God and surprisingly she came but I suppose it shouldn't surprise me because the Holy Spirit told me to invite her which means he knew she would have said yes um but she came and I told her um don't tell anyone you're an atheist because unfortunately they were very 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 sincere Christians in my church but wouldn't know how to handle an atheist and would either be like Ugh, and treat her weird which would again make her feel negative about our faith or they'd be like trying to push Jesus hard on her and that again for an atheist it's not what you want to do okay so she pretended that she was a Christian. She just sat there. She just listened. No one knew she wasn't a Christian. Um, and she would come to me and she said, I, I enjoy it so much. Everyone's friendly. I don't, I, I really like the environment. I've never been in a church environment where I felt like peace and being welcomed and being loved. Um, and through that, she, she started to ask me questions. Never, I didn't, I didn't like push gospel on her or anything, but I would keep meeting up with her, keep inviting her to church stuff. And she started asking me questions and they were all the typical atheist questions, which if you Google, you can get great answers for, but I didn't Google. I gave the answers that I have. I've said these things so many times that they're just like this to me. And she asked all the typicals, like why, why is there pain and suffering in the world if, if God is real and why does he allow it and uh, creationism things and the stuff atheists always go for. I'm sure you can even Google top five questions that atheists always ask Christians. I'm sure you'd get a million hits, okay? And one by one, I started to answer these questions and the, the thing is she was asking me wanting to know. Her spirit was like calm. She genuinely wanted to know an answer. And it took us, I don't know, a few months I would go over to her place, we'd have dinner, we'd talk about God, I would invite her to church, after class she would sit down with me and talk about God and she would ask me question after question after question. And that's all I did for months was just answer questions. I didn't push Jesus on her, I didn't tell her to convert, none of it, I just answered her questions. Then after about three months, um, she had started to tell me, you know, She's starting to ask God if he exists. She's asking for signs, okay? Very funny coming from someone who doesn't believe they can get any signs. But she started asking for signs and she actually started to get them, which most people don't. She was really lucky. God actually sent her the signs she was asking for. And eventually, even after the signs, she wouldn't, like she was not giving her life to Jesus. And then one day I said to her, I've told you from the beginning, Diana, that I will never push my faith on you because I want the moment you come to Jesus to be genuine. But I will tell you this, you don't know when you're going to die. And I think God has been sending you some very clear signs. I've answered all your questions with good answers. Even you've admitted they were great answers. You actually are now at the point where you're just repeating the same questions over and over, even though you already know the answers. God's given you signs. 
He's answering your prayers like, you might die. You might die tomorrow. You might cross the street when you leave your house. We were in her house. I'm like, you might cross the street and go to campus and a car might hit you and you might die and you will go to hell. I'm not pushing this decision on you, but you need to start thinking that there is a time limit to life and you don't know when your time limit ends. She's like, okay, I'll think more hard about it. She calls me an hour later. She's like, what the hell, dude? Like, as I left campus to cross the road, a car almost hit me. What the? <laughs> and I was like, mm, maybe God was trying to make a point, right? And eventually, she gave her life to Christ after three or four months of question after question after question. Not every atheist you're going to speak to is going to accept. <laughs> I was not an atheist. <laughs> No, it wasn't me. That would that would make sense. I wasn't talking to myself for four months. <laughs> oh, I was in the car. No, I couldn't even drive back then. I was not in the car. <laughs> gosh. <sighs> no, I'm not. I'm not like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um. So my main point here is with skeptics, with atheists, have answers. Be calm and spend a lot of time with them. That's what they need. Okay. Um, I lost my place. Ah, never mind. Here we go. All right. Now, people of other faiths. So they are religious, but they believe something completely different to what you do. This is, in some ways, easier than an atheist because at least you got a little bit of it right. Okay? They at least believe in the spiritual world. They believe there is some form of a God. All right? So basically, your route is going to be a few things, but one is going to be subtly planting seeds of doubt by simple conversation. And again, this takes research. All other faiths, I hope this isn't offensive to anyone. I always worry, even in America, that I'm offending people. But every other faith except Christianity has so many holes in it, like you can disprove their own faith with their own holy books. Like if you just look hard enough. Like I've heard atheists disprove Islam only using the Quran. Okay. So you don't even have to prove Jesus to them to prove that their own religion has flaws in it. If you really want to. Right. So, but you're not going to attack them on it. It's over time, small little seeds of doubt. And usually that comes in the form of questions. Um, you know, like, for example, with the question I gave about the, the prophet, or with Jesus being a prophet, you, you wouldn't say to them, oh, well, you know, Jesus was a prophet. Your book says that a prophet never lies, and Jesus said he was God, therefore he's God. What you would do is, in a natural conversation one day, you would say, what does the Quran say about prophets? Start a conversation. Try to get them to say, prophets are holy, they're sent by God. And if they don't say, they don't lie, say um, are they capable of like lying to you? Do you think a prophet could lie? Do you think Muhammad lied? No. All right. Don't you guys think Jesus is a prophet? Yes. Okay. And then you can decide whether you want to go that route today or leave it a few days. But eventually you start to bring up these things slowly but surely. An important point here is be friends with these people from other faiths. Like unless you're on a mission trip or in a once-off scenario, which we will get to, you want to build a relationship. When you've built a relationship with someone and they know that you care about them, they're more likely to listen to what you have to say. <clears throat> um, again, 
Pray for them. In all these scenarios, pray. Because no matter how well you know the Bible, no matter how great your answer is, if God doesn't change their heart, they will never believe in him. God is the only one who can save someone. So always be praying for the people you're trying to reach. Again, let, uh, let your conduct be unhypocritical. Show them that you're different, right? A lot of these other faiths, they actually have a really great moral code. So if your life is more evil than their evil religion's moral code, who do you think they're going to follow, right? I mean, if you look at some of these like uh, Buddhist monks and stuff like that, um, a lot of the stuff they teach sounds really great. And if you really follow it, you're all about peace and love and blah, blah, blah. Like, and uh, a lot of these monks as well, they like separate themselves from all worldly pleasure, right? So on the surface, they look really holy. Um, and so if you are just like, worldly to the core you're not going to convert someone who's living a moral life according to their own religious book so you have to be exemplary in your behavior too again doesn't mean you don't make a mistake this is a gr that's actually a great thing because if you do make a mistake our religion is different to every other religion most other religions there's some penalty that they must pay when they do make a mistake so that's a great entryway lead by example but when you make a mistake Admit it and then harp on, wow, Jesus is forgiving. I'm so glad that I don't have to pay the penalty for sin, blah, 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 blah. Go off on a gospel tangent. Maybe ask them some questions. If you sin, how do you believe you get forgiven? Do you have to be punished for your own sin? Do you think a loving God would like expect that from you? Our God says he loves us and so he sent his son to die so that we didn't have to take the punishment. And he didn't only die for me, he died for you. All you have to do is accept him as your savior and then you don't have to be punished. And then list the punishments they would have had if you accept him as your savior. So small little baby things. Um, also invite them to Christian things. I wouldn't say invite them to like Sunday morning service, maybe a bit intense. Invite them to like low-key stuff like uh, um, Bible studies or... Uh, Christian get-togethers, anything that's like not going to be like very overwhelming for them, invite them to things. You'll be surprised how many times they'll actually come. Um, and then a side note on Muslims. Muslims believe that if you don't argue for what you believe, they cannot respect it. That is a Muslim belief. Like if you really believe it, you will argue and you will fight for it and you will have reasons for it. I've heard testimonies of Muslims who became Christians that said they never took Christians seriously because Christians never tried to proselytize them. That's to convert them. Because in their belief, they believe that if your faith is really true and important, you will try to get other people to convert. So the fact that Christians are not coming to Muslims is one of the reasons that Muslims don't take our faith seriously. They Muslims specifically, this is not for all other faiths. Muslims, they want debate. They want argument, again, in love and kindness, but they want that. They want you to come to them and be like, convert to my faith. Let's talk this out. So take them up on it and have a good discussion with them. All right, next group of people, the general populace. So not anti-God and not of another religion, just general people that you meet every day who are either unchurched, lukewarm, some weird sick, not really going to church, anyone else, okay? There's um, two groups. 
within this group. One is people that you see once off and never again, and then people that you see every day. And you would treat those two scenarios very differently, in my opinion, okay? Um, the general populace that you only see like once off. So this would be um, plane rides, Uber rides, standing in line and waiting for things, sitting in the doctor's office, going to a conference and mingling during the, the intermissions and the breaks. You will treat this very differently. This is the time where you're going to be very overt with your faith. You have the opportunity to talk to them. You might never talk to them again. You can't build a relationship with them. They could die tomorrow. You don't know how many Christians are in their life. You have one shot. You got to take it. You might fail miserably. But one thing I've always said is you can't drive them deeper into hell. Okay. They're already going to hell. You telling them the gospel and them rejecting it ain't making them go to hell more. You have done something that could potentially make them go to heaven. So you did a good thing. Okay. Um, also, and this accounts for all people. If what you do doesn't lead to a conversion, it doesn't mean that you haven't done something significant. You could have been planting seeds and those seeds and everyone else that plants seeds eventually lands to a point where the seed grows into something and this person converts. Uh, that always used to bother me. I used to invite so many people to church and speak to them about God. And then I'd bring them into the church and then the youth pastor would speak to them for 10 minutes and he'd be like, yeah, so-and-so just gave their life to Jesus. And I'd be like, I've been working this person for months and then you get to take them. And I was bitter about it. And then God showed me this scripture. Rachel, you don't have it. I only thought of it today. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5, to a bit after that. <laughs> who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you have believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So that person that you speak to once and rejects what you're saying, if they become a Christian later in life because of the seeds that you've planted along with other people, every single person that's planted a seed in their life reaps a reward. And God says the person who plants or the person who waters Everyone is equal. Like someone who is watering is more valuable than someone who is planting a seed. So my youth pastor, because he spoke to them 10 minutes and got them to say a sinner's prayer, his input wasn't more valuable than my three or four, five, one year with this person trying to get them to believe in Jesus. We both receive equal reward because we both sowed into this person's faith. Okay. Um, so... When you have these once-off encounters, you want to just go for it, okay, regardless of the result. This is a great opportunity to be really bold and straightforward because you will never see them again. You can mess up. You can say the wrong thing. You could be offensive. You could, man, you could mess up the Bible so bad. It's fine. They're gone. You'll never see them again. No one has to know, okay? So do it. So here's some ways that you can spread your faith with these once-off encounters. 
First way is your testimony. That's a great way to be able to start a conversation about faith. Um, there's some great leading questions that you can Google online so that you don't just turn to the other person and go, hey, I gave my life to Jesus. I was like living in sin and it was amazing, blah, blah, blah. Like there are questions you can find that are great leading questions, right? Um, let me see if I can think of something offhand. Um, great, quarantine, okay. Um, maybe I'm in the line at Walmart six feet away and the, it's taking really long because the cashier is coughing and everyone's really scared. So everyone's like, Ugh. okay. And so I said to the person in front of me, man, the situation is crazy. Like, how are you dealing with the fear and like the quarantine environment? Let them speak, listen to what they say, because maybe something they say can give you a starting point, right? But when they're done, normal human beings will ask you, what about you? That's the greatest question an evangelist can ever hear because that's your cue for go for it, right? If they don't say, what about you? Then just be rude and stop talking about yourself, okay? And then say, I'm just so grateful to God. You know, I don't know what I'll be doing in this situation. He's been so faithful to me. List blessings. I don't lose my job. Um, I'm still getting paid. I can work from home or whatever. Make it your own. Um, but find a way to share your testimony. Then you can even go deeper into your testimony and just be like, you know, and I don't know what I would have done if I'd never given my life to Jesus five years ago, blah, 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 blah. And there you go. You've led yourself into your own testimony without being super weird. Little weird because it's always going to be a little weird, but not super weird as in scare them away, run the opposite direction weird. Okay. Um, and, and I mentioned leading questions. Leading questions are great for you to use. Um, I actually had some, I won't read them all because it'll take too long. Uh, um, this would be great if you're like in an Uber ride or on a plane, something with a little bit more time than just like 30 seconds. Um, um, do you have much of a spiritual background? How do you describe your spiritual journey? What values and causes are you most passionate about? What gives meaning and purpose to your life? What's most influenced you to come to your current conclusions? What people have most shaped your beliefs? What do you think about this Jesus guy? Make it look like you're a skeptic and then let them like pour it all out. And then you'd be like, no, I'm not a skeptic. Yeah, ah, caught you, right? So, <laughs> uh, at least one person's laughing. Um, so, like, there's a lot. Like, that was one Google search I did, and I got all of those. Some of them might be a little weird. I'm sure you can find way more natural ones than that. So, you can use that. Um, I once read a book by Ray Comfort called Hell's Best Kept Secret. That had a method of how to preach the gospel. It's a little controversial. It's worked for him hundreds of times. Let the Spirit guide you. But... Once off encounter, so if you make a mistake, oh well. And he says you should go through the Ten Commandments with a person. Um, ask them, do you think you're a good person? Most people will say yes. Um, ask them, have you ever lied? I hope they would say yes. If they don't, you're like, you're lying right now, <laughs> you know? And it's like, okay, well, if you lied, doesn't that make you a liar? Um, ask them, have they ever, ever stolen something? No matter how small and insignificant, a napkin from a restaurant, um, piece of paper that didn't belong to them, like anything that makes you a thief. And take them, th uh, the other one he uses is, uh, have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? Ever. That one gets everyone, right? 
And yes, and he goes, well, you know, the word of God says if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. So you're an adulterer, technically. So, you know, according to God's standard, are you a good person? And that will work for some people. They'll be like, well, I mean, I guess not. And I mean, this might sound ridiculous to you, but I've watched hours of videos of him doing this. And it actually works on a lot of people, shockingly enough. And then he tells them about God's goodness, God's righteousness, that they don't even have to be good. They just have to be made righteous in Christ. And they, they don't have to be held accountable for all those things. And then he leads into a gospel conversation. And he's led so many people to Christ with that. Like I said, let the spirit lead you. If you're next to a really scary guy, maybe don't. And then rather use the nice questions. But if you're next to a semi-weak looking person who can't punch you in the face, feel free if the spirit leads you to use that. Um, another great way is, this is if they're in your town, invite them to church. I love Blueprint's little um, cards that you can give. Like, that's you literally can share your faith without saying anything. I'm not saying that you can do that all the time, but that's great, right? You can just give someone a card. Hey, it was great talking to you. Um, here's a card from my church. I'd love to see you, you know? And you know what? You give out a hundred cards and one person comes. That's one person that's in the kingdom of God after that. So take a bunch of those cards next time you can get hold of them. Um, or just invite them. Say, oh, I'll send you a link to our Facebook group or whatever. Um, what's the worst they can say? No. Oh, how terrible, you know, like just try, okay? Um, so that's a once-off encounter and I, I call those gospel opportunities. There's another thing that I call a goodness opportunity. This for me is not when you spread the gospel with your words, but when you spread the gospel with your actions. And so this is like random acts of kindness. Like you're standing in the grocery line and you pay for the person behind you. And when they realize it, you say, God bless you. Jesus loves you so much. You don't sit there trying to convert them. You just do something kind. You know, um, take your neighbor's trash to the front of the yard on whatever morning the trash people come or, or put it back. Um, leave a waitress a really big tip and write Jesus loves you on the, on the receipt. Um, you see someone walking on the side of the road and uh, preferably you're a male so you're not terrified of picking up a hitchhiker or something, but... If you see a lady like walking on the road, especially if it's raining, then you get extra brownie points in heaven, right? Stop your car, be like, hey, can I give you a lift? And you don't even you can share your faith if they get in the car, but if not, just be like, you know, God loves you. I'm so glad I got to meet you today. Little seats like that, they stay with people, and you don't know what else God is doing. Um, actually, Rachel, you have a great story like this, right? The waitress. Do you want to share a very short? version of that about how different people planted seeds yeah um so i was out to dinner with some friends and we were originally supposed to go to a mexican restaurant or something and like 20 minutes beforehand my friend was like no 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 we're gonna go to cracker barrel and i was like cracker barrel that's stupid i don't even like that um and and so we get to dinner and our waitress comes up and she's like, we all, we all were like, oh my gosh, like she's such a baby. And we all placed bets on like how old she was. And she was 17. Um, and she came over to her table and she was so like terrified. She kept stumbling over her words and was talking super fast. 
and kept saying like sorry because she got our drinks wrong and she had to come back and it was this big old thing and she said sorry like a million times and she was so like frantic and scared and she was like it's my first Friday like it's my first week I'm so sorry like I'm not used to this and I just like I have a special place in my heart for servers anyway because I was one and I know how bad it sucks (laughs) so like every time I'm at a restaurant I just like my heart just like breaks for every single person at the server and this girl was just so young and she was just so scared and and it was just everything that could possibly go wrong was going wrong and um she came over to our table for like the fourth time and had to apologize and she was just like I mean her whole body was like shaking like I haven't seen somebody that like anxious in in quite some time and I just like put my hand on her arm And I was like, hey. And I made her, like, lock eyes with me and stop, like, what she was doing. And I was like, hey, has anybody told you that it's okay? Like, you're going to be okay. You're doing great. It's it's all good. Like, it's not the end of the world. Like, we are all okay. We're doing okay. We will get our food. If we don't, we don't. Like, it's going to be okay. I don't know if anyone has told you to, like, slow down or that you're fine, but I promise you are. And she was just like, oh my gosh, you're so nice. Like, why are you being so nice? And I was just like, look, I was a server girl. Like, I understand how it is. And my friend was like, my friend knows that I'm the person that will like be a little bit of an evangelist. And she's like, she's not like that. So she likes when I'm like that because she kind of lives through me vicariously, I guess. (laughs) And she's like, she's like, she kind of like nudged me and she was like, are you going to? are you gonna go pray for her and I was like yeah I am actually and so she was over at a table across from us and I just left our table and I went over and I said hey can I talk to you for a second she was like her eyes got so big and she was like yeah yeah like what's up and I said is it okay if I pray for you are you okay with that and she was like yeah she was like really like you yeah like you want to do that and I was like yeah are you okay with that And she was like, yeah, I am. And I prayed for her and I said, I just feel like you're dealing with a lot of anxiety and I, and I want to pray some peace over you. And I want to let you know that God loves you and that he sees you and that somebody cares about you. And I asked her if like she believed in God and she chuckled and she was like, not really. (laughs) And I was like, okay. I, I was like, that's, I was like, that's okay. I said, everybody has their own journey and like their process. And I said, Um, we weren't supposed to be at this restaurant tonight and I said I think that I came here so that I could pray over you and so that God could remind you that he sees you and that he loves you and she was like this is really weird because you're like the third person that's mentioned something about God to me today and she's like normally I just roll my eyes because you know it's just those like stupid Christians that are hypocritical (laughs) and I say something about God but don't tip well and are really rude and I was like girl I get it (laughs) I was like I understand and um and so I just said I I was like I I think that God's trying to get your attention and I said I think he's trying to tell you something and I said I think he's calling your name a little bit and I said do you know why and she was crying like from me praying over her and us just talking she was like yeah I do and so um I just encouraged her and and she was like you're just so nice and I was like it really has nothing to do with me it's 
it's God loves you so much that he would send a stranger over to talk to you and pray over you and encourage you. And I said, it really has nothing to do with me. I'm not that nice on my own. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not this like wonderful little like fairy person that just bebops around and is like fairy tales and unicorns all the time. And, um, and so I just encouraged her and I invited her to church and she was supposed to come, but she didn't. And I got super bummed out, but I was like, you know what? No, like Cassandra was saying, I planted a seed and she, she accepted what I had to say in the moment. And, and I saw, I saw kind of like a light bulb go off in her head. And so I just had to have faith that like that would be watered in time and she would have her own process. Yeah. So you don't know if something that you're doing, some random act of kindness, is planting a seed. Because if Rachel had been the only one that day that had said something, I mean, it still would have meant something. But the fact that she was the third person that day who had just said a little thing about God, it started to make this girl think, whoa, this is weird. Maybe God is trying to talk to me. And this is a girl who didn't believe in God. And so you don't know how your small little thing could turn into a big thing, right? So, but make sure that your act of kindness is laid back to God. Don't just leave a big tip. Don't just pay for someone's groceries. Say God's name at some point. God bless you. God loves you. Something like short, don't preach to them, but let them know that what you've done is out of God's love for them. Okay? Um, and... Uh, one more point before we go on to people that you encounter every day um, with leading questions. If, and this will come up again later, but if you are full of Jesus, it'll be very easy for you to bring up Jesus. And the example I have is this. When I was a waitress, I would come home and I would tell Eric so many times about, oh, I spoke to this person about Jesus and this person about Jesus and this person about Jesus. And I wasn't talking about like waiters I was talking about like people who sat down at the restaurant, right? I mean, it's easier to talk to your coworkers. You have an extensive amount of time. You have lunches and stuff like that. But to like start up a Jesus conversation when you're a server, that might seem difficult, but actually it was really, really easy, right? Um, God bless my accent because that was my leading question, right? Because they would say, oh my word, I love your accent. Where are you from? And then I'd be like, um, South Africa. And they would almost always ask how did you land up in america and i used to hate that question until i realized i could bombard them with jesus with that question because then i'd be like well i wanted to go into full-time ministry but then god told me to go to america blah 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 and i tell them about how i prayed and god answered and they didn't even ask for jesus but they got jesus because they asked me how did i land up in america and um whatever it is find a way like how are you doing today? Don't say fine. Like, say I was feeling pretty bummed out, but then, you know, I took a second and I, I, I went around the corner of the restaurant and I, I just said a quick prayer to God and just asked for help. Yes, Rachel. Um, okay, so along the lines of what you were saying, I think a lot of Christians miss the opportunity to just like literally say, oh, can I pray for you or I will pray for you? Mm -hmm. we, we really don't realize how many people around us will like complain or share about a problem mm -hmm. or a struggle in their life. And we're just like, oh, sorry. And we just like go back to like living our life and we don't even stop like to say like, hey, 
I have, I have medicine. Like, I have the best medicine. I have the best news. Like, I can pray for you. I can, you know, encourage you and all of that. And it's like we miss so many opportunities by just, like, being like, oh, sorry, and going on with our own lives. Like, most people will bring, will actually present you with an opportunity themselves. They'll just tell you about their struggles. And I'm going to bring up that in my next section. So that's a good point. So the last category of people is people you see every day, all the time or often, right? And this can actually be the hardest group of people to reach because you have to face them all the time. They're usually the people you work with. They're your family. They're your friends. They might even be your spouse, right? And so it, it gets a little bit harder in these situations, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be awkward. Um, I could be wrong on this, guys. Maybe every time we have a gospel conversation, we should just be like straight for the heart. Jesus died for you. Repent. Be saved. But in my, this is my opinion. This is my opinion. This is my opinion. Please know this is my opinion. You have to take it to God and see if it's the truth. But I just believe that when it, especially when it comes to people that you have to interact with a lot, the best thing you can do is do it slow is constantly insert God into conversations all the time, naturally, but not overwhelm them. And they will know that you're a Christian. It'll come to a point where they know that. And so slowly but surely you get to a point where you then sharing the gospel in its full form won't be weird anymore because they know you. They know you're a Christian. They're not even surprised that you're talking about Jesus at this point, except this time it's a little longer and a little more intense. Okay. Um, so uh, my first point on this list, pray for them. As with all people, pray for them, okay? Um, second, again, as with everything, lead by example. Especially now with people who are around you all the time. Because they will know if you're not practicing what you preach, okay? Um, but also, very, this is again a very good scenario for you to confess when you do sin or make a mistake. Um, for example, at work. I've been called out a few times for things I've done wrong. And um, I will say sorry, but I won't just say sorry. I will make a point of saying, uh, I'll give a real example. Um, I'm a very verbal person. If you haven't noticed, we're almost two hours into this. Um, and I talk a lot and sometimes I joke a lot and my jokes can tend to be a little, I have British humor. So sometimes people take offense when I make a joke, and I really don't mean it that way, but people get offended, it sucks, okay? I don't mean it, but it happens. Um, and so I actually got called in by my boss about it, um, and she's like, you know, you've said some things to some people, and they've come to me, and they've said, you know, that you've mocked certain things you shouldn't have mocked, or said this or said that, and I just think you need to be careful with who you say what to, um, and in that moment, two things. One, if I had fought back, that wouldn't have been a good witness. If I made excuses, but I don't really mean it, you know, I think that, that maybe taking a bit too personally, not a good witness. A good witness is being humble, being teachable, being correctable. So I immediately, I'm like, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I apologize. I know I do that and it's wrong. Second part of your witness turn it back to Jesus. Because the thing is, if you don't, what they'll do is they remember the sin. And when they find that you're a Christian, they're like, oh, Cassandra's a Christian. 
but she's, she like says offensive jokes to people, right? But if I turn that situation and I, and I did it and I said to my boss, I really apologize. You know, at the beginning of this year, I actually made that one of my goals. And I said to God, please help me to guard my mouth. Like I say stupid things all the time. And I know it's like my biggest, my mouth is my biggest blessing, but it's also my biggest curse. I say such stupid things. Like don't think before I speak. And um, please keep me accountable. I said to my boss, please keep me accountable. Please tell me if you hear me say something that I shouldn't say, or if someone tells you, you don't have to tell me who they are, but please, like, I need feedback. I need correction because that's not how Jesus wants me to live my life. And HR can't do nothing, right? Because I didn't say anything that's like pushing my faith on someone. I'm just talking about my own life. But here in my workplace, in front of my boss, I am spreading my faith by taking responsibility of my sin, right? And so now, even if they remember my sin, she remembers I was repentant and I know that it's wrong and it's bad and I want to be different. So have that attitude with people you're around. Admit that you're wrong. Tell them that's not what Jesus wants. Tell them you want to be different. Tell them, please tell me when I'm wrong. Tell me, like, even if they themselves are guilty of it, like, let's say they lie all the time, right? And then they catch you in a lie and they say, you're, you're a liar repent be sorry don't call out their lies and say to them please if you catch me even fibbing or white lying please i want you to call me out because this is a point that i really struggle with and i and i want to be truthful that's how jesus wants me to live my life and that will be a witness to them right and inwardly it's also going to make a lot of people think about themselves especially people who call themselves christians but oh they're seeing you who if you hadn't said anything, they would be like, oh, I'm a Christian and I lie and she's a Christian and she lies. So I guess we're all fine, right? But if you are different and you're like, this is wrong. I don't want to do it. Please help me. I'm so sorry. Then they look at themselves and they're like, I don't feel like that when I lie, you know? So you're being a witness even though you sinned, okay? Um, another thing is gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you don't know what I'm talking about, season one, episode five, Go listen to it. It's awesome and not two hours long. <laughs> so if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and you're filled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is a very useful thing in an environment where you're around people you see every day because um, your testimony, which is a great thing that you can use and you should use, for some people that won't be enough. They'll discount it even though it's the truth. But tell them something about their own life that you shouldn't know. Give them a prophecy. Give them a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge like, did your dad just die? Whoa, how did you know? Or were you thinking about suicide last week? Or uh, did you just like not have enough money last uh, month to pay your rent? Or whatever the Holy Spirit tells you. Like they can't deny that Jesus spoke to you if you do that in front of them. And that is a huge doorway for you to spread the gospel, right? Okay. Um, pray for, uh, don't just pray for them. Pray to God for conversation openings. So sometimes it is a little bit awkward, especially with people you know, to just bring up faith. But ask God to make people say things that allow you to spread the gospel. For example, at work, a Hindu woman sits behind me. And I just prayed that prayer like the day before or two days before. I said, God, please, I want more gospel conversations. Please make openings for me and the woman behind me uh we got into a conversation about um painting and weaving because i do that for fun and she's like yeah 
maybe I should take up a hobby. You know, I've been a mom for a really long time and all I do is be married and, and look after my kids and I've lost myself and I need to do something with my life. I need purpose. I need meaning. So maybe I should start a hobby. Boom. Entryway into the gospel. And then I told her, you know, I used to feel like that. I just lived my life and I had dreams and goals and stuff, but everything felt empty. I never felt like I was living for anything until I came to Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. I spread the gospel. She didn't become a Christian, but I planted a seed and it was natural. And she wasn't like, this girl's attacking me with the Bible and Jesus. It was a natural conversation. And I got to plant a seed in her life, right? So ask for those openings, but be faithful when they happen. Like you can't just be praying. Like one of the other statistics I read said like 80 something percent of Christians ask God for opportunities to spread the gospel, but only like less than 20% ever do. I'm sorry. Like you are not looking hard enough. God wants the gospel spread. You ask him for opportunities, he will give you opportunities. Just open your eyes. They're all around you. Um, I said this earlier, but the fuller your life is of Christ, the more it pours out, right? If you're spending a lot of time with God, you're learning a lot about God, naturally it'll come out in your conversation because when people ask you, hey, what did you do this weekend? If you've spent a lot of time with God, that's what you're going to share. Oh, I went to church and I learned this and it was great. Or I had this amazing worship session and you're talking about God, right? Um, what did you do yesterday? How was your day? How are you feeling? Oh, you know, this morning God just laid the scripture on my heart and it's given me such peace. The more time you spend with God, the more you can naturally bring him up in conversation without sounding preachy, right? Um, and another point on that, when people ask you questions, don't give them one word answers always elaborate, right? How was your weekend? What did you do? Don't just say, I went to church. This is a great opportunity for a gospel conversation, right? I went to church and the message was on, blah, blah, blah. It spoke to me in this way. I thought it was really awesome. Or maybe the message really sucked and you don't want to bring it up. So you're like, I was at church and it really got me thinking about Blah, 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 blah. Lead it in another gospel conversation way. There's so many routes you could go with this, people. Um, then Rachel's point, offer to pray for people. People complain all the time. People have bad days. People have bad things happen to them. Offer to pray for them. If you're bold enough, ask them if you can pray on the spot, right? Because then they can see that you really care, all right? Um, but offering to pray and then really praying for them, that means a lot, okay? Um, yeah, uh, there are, uh, invite people to church as well, invite them to small groups. Um, and as you build friendships, have deeper and deeper conversations. Um, this way you don't overwhelm them. I'm going to give you two examples and that will be the end. Um, one was, his name is Sean. He's now married to one of my best friends. He was studying his master's when I was doing my, um, my honors year, which is an undergrad in the British education system. Um, so he was one level above me. And uh, we were always in the corridor. Um, that's a passage, a hallway, um, where all our offices were in the university because we were so few students. We each got our own office to study in. And so we would be there for hours and hours. We'd be there till like four in the morning sometimes. Um, and there were very few of us, so obviously we talked a lot, we became friends, 
And so sometimes I'd be sitting in his office and we're chilling. It's a Saturday, 12 o'clock at night. We're trying to study or do a project. Um, and you know, obviously conversation would come up. And I'd built a good friend with this guy. He knew I was a Christian. And we got to talking about God. And there came a day. I did not say this the first day I met him. Over a few months after we built a friendship, we were talking about God. And I said to him, Sean, you're not a Christian. And he was like, what? Of course I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. So I was like, the demons believe in Jesus. Does that make them a Christian? So, I'm a good person. Being good doesn't get you to go to heaven. There's a lot of other faiths that have people way better than us. I've met atheists that are better than me, right? That doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Yeah, well, I, you know, I pray and I read my Bible. I, I know the Bible. Like, the devil knows the Bible. Did you see when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness? Like, he knew it too. And he's just like, why do you say, I, why do you say I'm not a Christian? I'm like, I see no relationship with him in your life. You, you don't spend time with him. You don't talk to him. You don't love him. You're not full of him. He's not your friend, you know? You don't have a relationship with him. You know him in your head, but you don't know him in your heart. And he was offended. He was so offended, but, but it planted a big seed because then he wants to know what was so different about my walk with God. So I was like, come into my world and let me show you. So I brought him to small groups. I brought him to church. I invited him over to our friend gatherings, which was all like intense Christians all around him. So he got to see how even if we we're just having a barbecue at our house, Jesus would come up all the time. We'd pray all the time. We'd talk about the word. We'd make Bible corny Moses Noah jokes. Like everything was Jesus. And he started to see, whoa, their lives revolve around Jesus. And again, I didn't push Christianity on him. I never said, oh, I'm going to make you say a sentence prayer. I said, there will come a day where you'll feel deep in your heart that you want what we have. And you will come to me and you'll say, I'm ready. And that will be the day that Jesus is going to grab you, take your life. And we can say a prayer or you can say two words. If you truly repent in that moment and you come to him, he will forgive you. He will accept you. But I'm not going to push a prayer on you because too many people get a prayer pushed on them. And then they end up like you, Sean, thinking they're saved their whole lives, but they're not. So I'm not pushing anything on you. Took a few months again. I have, I personally have never had a scenario except on a mission trip where I preached the gospel and immediately the person got saved. Lots of people do, more power to you. It's never happened to me, okay? So I have always had long-term things and I think with most people it's going to be long-term. So invest time in them, invest a lot of time in them, make a friendship with them and slowly, slowly, slowly insert God in. And you're not going to have, not all of you are going to have a Sean situation. I didn't, every person I met go, you're not a Christian. But with him, I just knew in this situation, that's how I'm going to address it. Okay. And now he's saved. He's on fire for God. He's married to one of my super Christian female friends. Great. Hallelujah. Right. That's awesome. I have another example. And I was, I didn't know whether I should do this because the person's in the group, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to ask them to speak and they didn't know this. So they might say something bad. And if, if you want to say something bad, it's, it's, it's super okay. Like I can accept the truth, but I wanted to prove a point. Um, Drew. So this is not a scenario where I'm like, oh, this was an unbeliever that I led to Christ. But 
principles I've just told you that I apply with people I know, I did this to Drew. Like, I didn't come to him day one and be like, hey, you believe in Jesus? You got to accept him as your savior. You're going to hell. You know, I didn't meet him day one and even give him my whole testimony and every bad thing that's happened to me and how God like saved me. I didn't do that. All I did was slowly just talk about God. Now, again, I'm not saying Drew is an unbeliever, but the people you catch, they might not always be unsaved. They might be people who need community. They might be people who need a new church. They might be people who a part of their faith has maybe been dead for a while and they needed to be revived. You don't know how you're going to influence or, or affect someone. And so out the horse's mouth, <laughs> I want Drew to tell me if at any point, and you can be honest and I'll take it, I'll take the hit. Okay, question one. Did I at least occasionally bring up Jesus and God in some form or another, in conversations we have had? Yes. Okay. And now the, the big question. <laughs> Did you at any point in those conversations feel, and you can say yes, it's okay. Did you ever feel coerced, manipulated, like I was pushing my faith on you or trying to get you to believe something different? No. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> My point would have been terrible if he'd said yes. But even though Drew is not like an unbeliever or an atheist, I applied the same principles to him. Slowly but surely, talking about God naturally in conversation, not only talking about God, we talk about gaming and random nonsense, right? But slowly, 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 slowly. And after 11 months of working together, I invited him to my church. And here he is. Yay. I'm so happy you're here, Drew. I really am. You know? But it just shows, like, I don't know how he would have reacted if I just come to him straight on and just be like, Drew, bro, Jesus. You know? Probably would have thought I'm crazy and he wouldn't even want to be my friend. Um, but it's small things. The first thing I ever said to him about God was, he works in a different department to me and he uses this software. I won't name just in case. But they call it the Bible because it's the source of all truth of data, right? But there's mistakes sometimes in that system. So the first Jesus conversation I ever had with him was I went to him and I'm like, you guys call your software the Bible. But let me tell you something about the Bible. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is the proven word of God. It doesn't have a mistake in it, but your application has mistakes in it. There we go. I didn't preach to him about Jesus, but from that first conversation, there was a little seed of this girl believes in the Bible. She believes really strongly in the Bible, but I turned the conversation to something completely different. And he never knew that that was the first seed of many, many seeds that was going to be sown. And so I have my eye on you from the beginning, Drew. So happy that you're here. Um, and so guys, I hope that you can, um, Take these practical steps. And if you have questions, please stay on and I'll address them. If you have a specific thing that you want to bring up, like this is the scenario I'm in. This is the person I'm trying to lead to Christ or be a witness to. And you want to bring it up, please do. And we can discuss it. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read. Woo, I'm going to read one closing verse and then we'll pray and then we'll go into questions. And if you want to um, log off uh, because it's late and you don't want to stay for questions, 
just put your um, prayer request in chat and you can log off. No hard feelings, but I do want to give time for questions. Um, and it might go on long, so it's just a warning. So you can go if you want to, but please leave your prayer requests. I'm going to read Matthew 10, verse 32 to 33. <clears throat> Therefore, Jesus speaking. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Harsh words from Jesus. Um, Eric told me this last week. He's like, wow, Jesus is really harsh. And that was a revelation for him for the first time. But Jesus is loving and wonderful. But he did say some harsh things. And in, this, in these two verses, he's saying, you confess me before men. You declare me to other people. I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me, I will deny you before him. Now, what do you think that means? I'll leave it there for you. Whether you, whether you want to go deep and say, well, if he denies me, and could it be he denies that he knows me? Like it says in other scripture, scriptures, I think in Matthew 2, um, where it says, uh, where people come and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and heal the sick and do this and that in your name? And he says, get away from me. I did not know you. He's denying that he knew them. So does that mean that? Does it mean that if you deny Jesus before people, that you can even stand in danger of losing your salvation because he will deny you before his father? The last thing Jesus told us to do was spread the gospel. It is not a suggestion. It is a commandment and it is our mandate. How that looks can be so, so different for everyone. Find a way that works for you. Mine were just some. The internet is so useful. Use it. But find a way. It's your responsibility to do so. If you don't know, look it up. Speak to me. Speak to someone else who you know is really good at it. And find ways to do it. Start small. Make some Facebook statuses that let people know that you're a Christian. Do the once-off kindness acts where you say God loves you. Offer to pray for people. Those are baby steps you can use. But don't stay on the baby steps. Keep moving forward so you get the point where you can actually share your faith with someone. It's amazing when what you have done has led someone to Christ. There is no greater thing that you can do for God than to expand his kingdom and lead people into his throne room. There's nothing. If you love Jesus and you're grateful for everything he's done for you, save other people. They have limited time on earth. Think about that. You might offend them for a little while, but they're going to die. And then for all eternity, they spend it in one of two places. Make sure they spend it with Jesus. Do your part. Cool. <laughs> all right. Um, Jermichael, will you close us off in prayer before questions? Yep, of course. Thank you. all here having the, the chance to learn more about you through that learn more about ourselves lord um may we use this lesson as we go about our day-to-day -day, um just learning more about you and being more of an example in our life 
that you created us to be, Lord. May we reflect who you are and in our day-to-day living. Um, Lord, we know it's a journey. It's something that doesn't just come at the to us so easily, or just at the flip, flip of the switch. Yes, thank you, my life. Um, and um, but our faith is a marathon, Lord, and allow us to embrace the run and chase after you every day, Lord. In your name, we pray. Amen. Amen.